0: Yeah, I'm Justin. If you uh, if you didn't know Jamie's not here today, then we tricked you, ha ha! Because everyone knows the best day to skip is when the pastor is gone and you have a guest speaker, especially somebody from the church. So, ha, we got gotcha. you. Uh, we're going to be in First Corinthians and chapter one, and we're going to talk about the wisdom of God. Um, it's always difficult to. St- to to fill in and preach and and I mean you have the whole Bible so it's like where do you go what do you do Um, you know um, with everything that's going on right now we just have all this crazy you know you guys have been there you know it's been kinda wild lately Um, and so man what what do we talk about what do we do where can we go in the Bible there's so much Uh, how do we pick one do we just you know that's one or you know what do we do and so uh, this is something that I had just been reading lately. Um, somewhere I worked previously gave me a "read the Bible in one year." I think I'm about two years into the book, and uh, still working on it. And but uh, this was something that I read lately that I thought, yeah, I think we could use some of this uh, regarding wisdom. So uh, you yeah, know, let's let's jump in. So uh, we'll let's read the whole thing and then we'll go through it a little bit at a time. I've got way too many things going on here, so just bear with me as we go. Uh, We'll start with verse 18, chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. Um, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person, where is the teacher of the law, where is the philosopher of this age? He has not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Uh, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So let's start with this first verse. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. So let's start right there. Um the scene that I have while I'm reading this, uh, the scene that I have coming to mind that I want you to keep with you as we talk about this is a battlefield. Now we're all on the same battlefield, and there's some of us who are perishing, and some of us who are going to make it. Like any battle, like any any crazy battle. Think of anything that you've seen or watched or experienced and some people are going to make it and some people are not. And he's saying there are some who are perishing and some who are being saved. But in this scenario I want you to keep in mind that there's all of these people, the perishing and the ones who are going to live, they're all on the same side. Just think of one side of the battlefield for now. The enemy is evil. We'll put put Satan, we'll put sin, death, evil we'll put it on the other side. Everyone else is on the same side for this context. So as we talk about this, I want you to keep that in mind, that everyone, the perishing, the saved, we're all on one side of the field. Our enemy is Satan, it's death, it's sin. Okay? And then the context that I want you to keep, um, what we're missing because we're starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but we're not going through the beginning. The beginning is, this is written to a church, this is written to Christians, and this is written to God's people, what we'll call the saved, or the ones who are being saved. Um, He's writing this in this first chapter to address something. He's writing to address division. The church at the time was divided over all kinds of super important things like who baptized them. Uh, Can you guys imagine living in a culture in a day where the church, uh, you know, got the bride of Christ, the church of God, the kingdom of God is divided over all these little silly things like things that don't really matter according to the gospel? Can you guys imagine living in a time where the church is like that? Yeah, that's kind of a joke. I'm not really hitting on the jokes today, but uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? At this time, they had, the church had literally just started, and they already found things to be different about. Mm, yeah, well, Paul baptized me, so I'm just saying he wrote most of the Bible, even though it hadn't been written yet. Um, so that makes me way cooler than you. You got baptized by Peter, and all he does is, like, get angry and hurt people and drown stuff like that so paul's way better obviously um and people are arguing about who they were baptized in so they're setting up basically denominations separations in the church already and you know this letter is being written to this church it's like what are y'all doing (laughs) we were all we were all baptized into christ We're, we're one church there's just one like Paul's like, I don't even baptize people. I think I've done it three times. Why would you even say this? Like, I don't get what's going on. He's writing this letter. There's a lot of other things that he's going to address in this church. But for the context that we're in, uh, that's it. It's a church that's divided, and um, and they're kind of already doing some silly stuff. And uh, But it is a church that he's writing to. It is the saints. It is you. Um, so... For a second, just to contextually get in the same place, I want you to to close your eyes. And just everybody, I know it's weird, but just do it. Just close your eyes. Now imagine that you're in a church. And imagine that you're a Christian. Okay, now open your eyes. That shouldn't have been too easy for most of you. (laughs) I'm really good at this kind of stuff. Um, So... Hopefully you get the context. This is you. It's written to a church, to Christians. Most of you guys, this is you. You're here at church. You might be a Christian already. Awesome. This is for you. This is information uh, that was written so that you could learn and, and grow from this. So as we go, keep this in context. That The, the, the context, the, who it's written to, the time and the place is the church. It's about division and things going on in the church. But also I want you to keep that battlefield mind uh, saying that that to save the saved, the perish we're all on the same side. So, um, this message, the the first verse, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, the perishing. Uh, the first thing we want to know about the perishing, who is that? These are the the lost, the unsaved, the people who have not, Given their life to Christ, the people who have not placed their faith in Jesus, and those are the perishing. Um, Those of us who are being saved, as it puts it, um, are those who have received grace, who have placed our faith and our trust in, in Christ Jesus, and we're no longer perishing. We are being saved. We are in the act of being saved. And we know that God is faithful to complete it. That we will be saved. We will enjoy uh, you know, heaven with the Father. And, uh, and that Jesus is going to go to bat for us. And then we have the perishing who are on the other side who don't have that. They are perishing. We were all once that. All of us who are Christians, who are saved... At one point, we were separated. The Bible says that we were far from God. We were aliens. We were adopted into the family. All those things tell us that we were once not, but now we are. I was lost, but I'm found. All of those things. And so that is us. We are the ones who are being saved. And so these perishing, it states in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those um lately I see, man, just a lot of debate going on. A lot of like it seems like everybody's bored or they have too much time to be on Facebook and there's so many things that are going on. I've seen so many arguments and man, it's just everything I can do to stay out of it, but there's so much going on. Um and it seems like just in general the world is going further and further from the truth, from the gospel, from from the Bible. Um, as Christians, it just seems like more and more, that's just the way the world is going. It's moving away from what we believe, and, and it's going towards this idea of wisdom, towards this idea of truth, that, that our way, the Bible, is not true, and that theirs is. And what we believe seems like foolishness. I can't tell you how many times I've heard and, and seen people that are hateful to each other and call Christians stupid because we believe what we believe or uneducated or you know I'm sure some of you have even experienced that if not lately then at some point in your life how can you believe that that's so dumb you believe that there's a god in the heaven who really knows you and cares about you that he created all the earth you believe that a man got swallowed by fish and that there were giants and like all of these things that we believe um and people say that is so dumb. That is foolish. Like, how could anyone ever believe that? The message of the gospel, the, the entire Bible, just seems crazy to the people who don't believe. To us who are being saved, it says that it is the power of God. We read the Bible, we go through the Bible, and we see that it starts with sin and separation and all these things happen, Um, and then the power of God is that he sends his only son so that we can be saved. Man... As a Christian, I know I didn't always believe that. Even before I was saved or before someone shared the gospel with me, I, I kind of believed in some of the stuff. And I thought, yeah, there's a God. But I didn't really know the power of the gospel. I didn't understand that my sin had separated me from God. I knew he was there, but I didn't know that I wasn't with him. I didn't know that I wasn't in him. And I didn't know that, that there was a separation. I didn't know about his holiness and and my sin and this separation that that caused. And I didn't understand that, And, you know, going to church and doing all those things kind of seemed foolish to me. Um, Verses 19 and 20 go a little bit deeper in that. It says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The the, The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So this part gets a little wordy. Um, The beginning part is easy to understand. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Um, That I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, man, someday everything's going to be destroyed. Someday this whole place is going down and it's going to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. Um, there will be a day when, when things, when the old has passed and the new comes and, and it's going to be wildly different. Um, but even then, how many times has the wisdom of the wise been proven wrong? There was a time when everyone swore that the earth is flat, and no, I'm not talking about those chat rooms on Facebook, do not go there, if you're one of those people, I love you, but good gosh almighty, I don't know, I'm not even going to go down that road, but if you're one of those people, I still love you, that, that's all I can say, but at one point, everyone thought that, and then someone said, hey, I think it's a circle, or a, a sphere, I guess, and everyone's like, nah, it's crazy, and then they proved it's right, and we went on with our lives, and we were like, okay, it must be round. It must be a circle. You know, everything is. And and they're like, oh, not everything's flat, because it looks flat. And they kind of figured it out. It made sense. And then they went on, and they figured out all kinds of crazy things. But there have been so many things that have been disproven, even if you look at something like evolution. How many times have they changed their mind about, well, let's draw an arrow from this Manatee directly to this horse. Oh wait, never mind. There was another thing, and they add in another thing, and then well, that doesn't work either because of this and this. They keep drawing little things and redoing it. There is no science that can't be undone by deeper discovery and a greater knowing of our world. To me, they just they just can't. Like we can only understand so much, and at some point, this wisdom that we have, the things that we think we know are going to change. Think of it in context to people. How many times have you thought you knew somebody? Like, I know this person would never do that. Man, has anyone ever been shocked in that category? Like, I thought I knew someone. I thought I, I was wise about the character of this person, but I did not know what they were capable of. I did not know what would happen. Um, there are so many things that we can be wise about that can change in an instant. Um, and God says, yeah, I made it that way. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. If you think you're smart, I will undo that. And there are things that you just will never know. Even as a Christian, there are parts of this Bible that it just says it might main remain a mystery to you. That there are things that I might not reveal completely until, until I'm ready. That, that God may withhold some understanding of some part of the Bible for you until later. It's kind of hard to deal with. Um, it goes on to say, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law, the philosopher? Yours may say, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater? Um, So what it's setting up is the three smartest people you could think of. Just in general, the wise. Uh, In Jewish terms, the scribe. The people, the keepers of the law. These are the people who study the law. They know everything about it. And they know why you're full of sin. Because you do not keep the law. Um, These are also some of the people that Jesus came down the hardest on. Because they knew the law. And they still did lots of wrong things. Um, the scribes, the Pharisees, all of these people. Um, and then the last thing it says is the debater or the philosopher. And this is Greek wisdom. This represents um, the Greek empire and their wisdom. They're great philosophers and, and uh, debaters. Um, think of people that you know right now. There's a guy that, if you had a problem with your lawnmower, I'm calling that guy. Like I know a guy who knows some stuff about machinery. If I got a car problem, I'm probably going to call Nico or Rick Allenball and say, man, my car's doing this. I don't know what's happening. They could probably tell me. I've got friends who I know know, I do computer stuff. That's what I do. And uh, if I got problems with computer stuff, I got guys that I can call that I know, know a whole lot more, pretty much about everything than I do. And then, you know, you've got this, this, uh, these great debaters. I see a lot of those now on Facebook where they're like, oh, they're just crushing people. They're going on the dumbest guy I went to high school with and posting on his stuff and just burning him, just eating him alive because that's the dumbest guy from my high school and I only had 50 people in my class. So he's not very smart. And I'm like, this guy, man, they're just roasting him and they're like, I'm a great debater. I'm so wise, look at me roast this guy, and I don't know if you guys, maybe it's just me that's all into this, but I, I feel like there's people around who've gotten really smart this spring break, you know, this unending spring break that we're on. I feel like some people have gotten really, really wise and really smart about the way the world works, about how, you know, viruses transmit and how, you know, the economy works and how campaigns and presidential things work, i I don't know all the answers, but there are people who do apparently. And they're out there, they're on Facebook, and they're telling you. They'll let you know how it works. There are people who literally make a living just getting on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or uh, Instagram. Probably none of those things because I'm old and I don't know what they're doing now. TikTok, Snapchat, I don't know. Anyway, they're making money just talking about their opinion about stuff. And they think they're really smart. And then other people who see it and like it, they think they're smart. And then the other people who see it and don't like it, they say, man, that person's an idiot. (laughs) And that's just kind of how it works right now. And at the time, he's writing and he's saying, the wise, the teachers of the law, the philosophers, (laughs) has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? God said that you didn't even know me Through conventional wisdom. If you were wise, if you were really wise, you would know me. How could you think that all this could happen without me? Is what God's saying. But I gave you wisdom and you wasted it. I gave you intelligence, I gave you wisdom, and you came up with, look look at these things that you came up with. Man, how many things exist today that we have justified based on science or wisdom? How many things can you think of that are harmful, that are just flat out wrong, sinful, bad, they're hurting people, and we've justified it and said it's okay? Man, I could think of a long list of those things that we've said, you know what? That's okay because of this. It's okay because of this. Science says that, you know. And in our wisdom... We have done some really stupid stuff. And then God said, uh, <laughs> Paul says that God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Isn't that some irony? I told Megan that I almost put up a picture of Alanis Morset, but I didn't know how many of y'all would like that. But isn't that ironic? that God would use foolishness to give us wisdom that he would change our idea about how the entire world was made and how everything works and and why we exist and all of those things that he would do it through something that the world deems as foolish like giving your money to a church and, and spending your time here learning about a book that was written thousands of years ago and a God who you can't see like all of those things seem so foolish but here we are and this is what God has given us. So a question then. Um, people will say things like, I believe in science. I believe in facts. And I believe in only things that I can see. Um, they want the proof. And why doesn't God just show us? If He's real, why wouldn't He just Show up right here and be like, "I'm real." Peace, and then do that at every church. Just, I mean, it could do it all at once, I guess. then not have to go to each one. But anyway, you get the picture. Uh, why didn't he just do that? Well, 22 and 23 kind of address that. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Have you ever heard the saying, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Knowing they're about to tell you something crazy. You wouldn't believe me if I showed you. Alright, people say that kind of stuff all the time, or at least they do in East Texas where where I was born. And uh That's the way people are a lot of times. A lot of times people aren't going to believe you, especially if you tell a lot of stories that that begin with, you wouldn't believe me. People probably don't believe you already because you probably tell a lot of those kind of stories. Um, But here's this this idea, people like to say, um, man, I would believe in God if I could see some proof. Man, the Jews, I mean, you read the Old Testament and the Jewish people how many times did God come through and do something crazy? And if they responded for a short while with, with faith, with, with belief, and how does it always end? They turn their back on it. Like every time. And sometimes it's really quickly. Like when they're in the wilderness and God is literally making manna appear on the ground every day. They get upset with God and they and they start to lose their faith because they wanted meat. <laughs> They're like, mm, this honey bread is good, but I kind of wanted some chicken. <laughs> so, um, And they start to lose their faith and they wander around and then eventually, you know, they mess up and they, they start to stray from God. How many times have we seen this happen throughout the Bible? Um, Hezekiah, he's a king, he had his life uh, extended uh, beyond. You know, his natural duration. He was supposed to die. He was given some extra life. And, you know, he kind of wasted it. Um, And, you know, David literally kills a giant. I know we always talk about David. But the dude literally kills a giant and then kills one of his best friends later in life and has an affair. Like, we think that if God gave us something great, showed us something awesome... That we would believe, or that's what people who don't believe say. But it's just not true. Um, It's happened over and over and over, and people still stumble. They still uh, lose faith. It's not enough, because that's not what it's about. Um, God has given us one vehicle through which to be saved. And that is... We were given grace through faith. Faith is the vehicle. Grace is the gift, but faith is the vehicle by which we receive it. Um, I had to look up these two words because I knew they were different, but I didn't know how. One's delusion and one's illusion. Does anybody know the difference? I do, because I googled it. Uh, Delusion is when you have uh, an idea or something that is wrong about your beliefs. And illusion is just... Something that's in your mind. It's not necessarily in your heart. It's just in your mind. So an illusion is something that you see or think that's wrong. And and a delusion. When you're delusional, you really believe it. It's something in your faith. Um, There's a delusion that Christians are the only ones that live by faith. Let me tell you guys, I have studied science. I tell my kids I'm a computer scientist. I'm really not smart at all, but I have studied enough to know that at some point, no matter what you believe, whether you say you believe in science or whatever, there comes a point where you have to deal with everything came from nothing. Even if you believe that evolution is the vehicle through which humans were created, it had to start somewhere. And I can tell you that the answer that they give you, that primordial soup existed, there was this, you know, something was there, and then something happened to that something, and that something started into something that turned into more things, that those things turned into other things, and eventually, you know, it it turned into us. That is the short version of it. No matter how you put it, things existed that didn't exist before, and something happened to them to transform them into something that now exists on a different level. That is the gist of it. Guys, If that is not faith in something, I don't know what is. It's just not faith in the right thing. The delusion is is that we're the only ones living by faith. We just chose to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We were called to put our faith in Jesus Christ. (laughs) The illusion is, is that if we have more knowledge, we'd make better choices. Uh, If we had more knowledge and more wisdom, if God just revealed a little bit to us and made this decision easier, then we'd make the right decision. We were talking with some friends in our life group the other day, and somebody said, man, if I could go back in time, I'd make a lot of different decisions. And I said, yeah, you'd still make a lot of bad ones, though. Have you ever thought about that? Like, if I could go back in time, man, I wouldn't do this. Wouldn't buy that car. Wouldn't spend my money on this. Wouldn't make those decisions. Wouldn't say those things or do those things. Or I might do these things and say these things. But I can guarantee every one of you, if you went back in time, you would probably still do a lot of stupid things. They would just be different stupid things than the other things. Or you might even do the same stupid things because maybe they were worth it. I don't know. But I can guarantee that none of you are going back in time and living a perfect life and not making mistakes. That's just not going to happen. It is an illusion to think that if you had more knowledge, you would be better off than you were before. You'd be the same. You'd still be lost. You'd still make bad choices and you'd still do dumb things. It's our human nature. But there are people who believe wholeheartedly if they find all the clues and they just line it up, that it'll make sense and they can make the right decisions. That They've made an educated decision to place their faith in in wherever they placed it. But I'm telling you, there is no education that changes the fact that you have placed your faith in something that is not complete. Creation is not the creator. There is only one full, complete being, entity. And that is, um, you know, our Father in heaven, three in one. And everything outside of that is not him. So, it says, not only do Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. So not only are there people out there who need to know everything, they want to know everything, they want signs and wonders, the Jews, they need to see something. And the Greeks, they're like, this doesn't make sense, I can't compute. And and they're saying, everyone's looking for these things, but we're going to preach something totally different. We're going to preach Christ crucified. Why is Christ crucified important? Why is that stressed here? Why is it a stumbling block to the Jews? Um, let's go to uh, Galatians 3. Did I, under, I didn't underline it. 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It's a stumbling stumbling block to the Jews. uh, First of all, it's mind-blowing to anyone that God would put his son in, in flesh, that he would come to earth, that he would live a perfect life, die, pay a punishment for our sins. But it's even further incomprehensible to Jewish people that he would become a curse. Cursed are those who hang on a tree. It's even wilder to them. And it doesn't, even me saying it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we're not really that into curses. I mean, we don't really talk about that that much. But here is Jesus who has literally gone and done something that is mind blowing to them. Why would the person who's supposed to come in all his glory, save us, start a revolution, become the king, like overthrow the government, why would he come and be a servant? Why would he come? and and tell us that the law is not complete, and why would he come and die and get hanged on a tree? That doesn't make any sense. For the Jewish people, it was just crazy. And this is what God has given us. This is the tool that we have as Christians. Is it a broken system? That we've been giving something that everyone says... Is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense that God would do this. Is it a broken system that we preach Christ crucified to people who are looking for signs and wonders and something completely different than what we are giving? Verse 24 and 25. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Guys, like I said in the beginning, it is not us versus them. We're on the same side of this battlefield against sin, death, Satan, the flesh, the world, and there's brothers and sisters around us who are perishing. And there are some of those, some of us who have been called in the relationship with Christ who are being saved. How did we get there? We were called by hearing the gospel through faith and we were given grace. Guys, we have to be on our guard. We have to constantly be in this, and we have to be in community and fellowship with each other, not to get bogged down and see the perishing as our enemy. They are perishing. There was a time where I was dying to sin and death. My life did not make sense, even though I didn't know it, until after someone had come to my house and shared the gospel with me and sat down and told me that I was far from God, but he loved me and sent his son to bring me back near. And when that happened, my life changed, and then all of a sudden, I started to grow and learn about the Bible, and I started to learn just how far away from God I was, and it was mind-blowing. But people don't know that, and maybe it's been a while for you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe you're not there yet. I don't know, but there is a separation from God and sin, and so we need to realize that there are people around us that are still there. We've been pulled from the fire. We've been washed In the blood of Jesus, we've been cleansed and we've been made right with God. Even though we're still at battle on this earth, we are being saved. And God is faithful to fulfill it. But there are people who have not yet placed their faith in Christ. Who have not yet been saved. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, For us to hate those who are in error or talk of them with contempt or wish them ill or do them wrong, is not according to the Spirit of Christ. You cannot cast out Satan by Satan, nor correct error by violence, nor overcome hate by hate. The conquering weapon of the Christian is love. You are not going to win people to Christ by correcting their politics. We're not going to their science. Or by correcting their morals. We're not going to win Christ, people to Christ that way. Now I'm not saying that you don't defend what is right. And I'm not saying that we don't try our best to do the things that we can do that are right. But there is a thing that is most important. And that is that there are people that are perishing... And that we've been called, I mean, what does the Bible command us to do? It says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said those are the most important things. I'm not saying they're the most important. Jesus himself said those are the most important things. That is not negotiable. So the most important work for us to do is the gospel. It is sharing the gospel with people. And that's hard to do because it's foolishness. When people hear it, they go, what? No, that's not for me. No, thanks. Listen, it is not your job to convince them that it is. It's not your job to make them understand we're just told to say it. We're just told to live it and to do it and to say it. And that's what we do And we let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. There was a time in my life where people tried to tell me the gospel and it fell on deaf ears. The fir- when I got saved, it wasn't the first time I heard the gospel. When I gave my life to Christ or however you want to call it, when I surrendered, whatever, that moment in my life wasn't the first time I heard the gospel. I'd heard it before. But that was the moment... That I was called and that I answered and that I gave my life to Christ. Guys, I want you to know that it's okay to share the gospel with people. It's okay to love people, even people that you don't like, especially people you don't like. Love those people. There are people who are wrong, but the Bible comforts you and tells you that it's okay. It's okay. They don't understand. They're not going to they're not going to get our point of view because our point of view was made foolish to them by God himself. He said, I made this foolish to the wise, and I made unintelligent to the intelligent. This is the way it works. We don't need to get upset about the system. We just need to do what we're supposed to do, and that's preach the gospel. Uh, Let's look at Galatians. I know I'm probably going a little late today. Galatians 3, 25... Or 26, actually, through 29. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. And there is no female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We have been made sons and daughters, and it was not because we understood and because we're smart and we were able to get it. We need to have some compassion on the loss. We need to have passion for the gospel. And I'm telling you, that is the most important work we can do. Uh, If you want to debate that with me as a Christian, we can talk about that, but we don't need to debate it with other people. Uh, It's pretty simple to me. That what our job is. So let's do it. Church, let's go out of this place. Let's realize that people are going to sound foolish to us. Because we have something they don't have. We have the Holy Spirit working in us that has made those things make sense. And so let's go from this place with compassion. And let's preach to those people so that they have an opportunity just like we did to hear the gospel. And that they can come to faith. And man, as we inch along this battlefield, in James it says, if we can pull anyone from the fire, man, if we can just pull anyone else from the fire with us, amen, like hallelujah, let's do that. Go from this place. If you're going to be a warrior, let it be for the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for our church. God, I thank you for the word that you have given us, to encourage us, to to teach us. I pray and thank you so much that you have opened our eyes, not that we are wise, but just that we can see your wisdom. God, we still have much to learn. There are so many mysteries and things of your word that we have yet to understand. As Christians, you are constantly working that out in us as you're sanctifying and, and growing us. But God, I pray for the church that you would make us passionate about the gospel. That we would live to serve and love others. That we would see that God, sometimes people are just lost. And that they need you. That's what they need. and, And they get that by hearing your words. And I pray that we'd be a church who would share that. Who would give it freely. And that we would know it. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for South Point. I thank you for all of our blessings. In your name I pray, amen.